And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the Autism Sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited about today. I'm ready to get back into routine. It's August, and I'm excited and have lots it, to say. It, it feels like we haven't recorded in a while because, because I don't always release these in order. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like we haven't actually recorded together in a while. I know we've had like meetings for work and stuff, mm-hmm. but it, it feels like we're a little out of sync. Maybe because you had the whole move and we're just getting back into it, but it just it just feels a little out of sync. Yeah. But we'll do our best. Stacy, what's our topic today? We are going to talk about what used to be referred to as and still is in some places as comorbid which even if you don't know what comorbid means it sounds really really bad right like like bad so i think the new terminology which you know the woke terminology yes the woke terminology um would be coexisting which i actually think for once a different term actually makes more sense right uh especially around wanting to shift the narrative that it's not a woe is me, not taking away from the challenges, but, you know, it is what it is. Like we have to, (laughs) we have to deal with the cards we've been dealt. And sometimes the cards are not what we expected. And sometimes the cards are downright crappy, right? So what can we do in terms of dealing with these coexisting and i say dealing with because for a lot of parents it is dealing with people not acknowledging dealing with wrong diagnosis dealing with not just my child's autistic but there's all these other things going on uh co co-occurring or uh coexisting conditions can you it's kind of in the name but can can you give us a quick definition of what that is Well, you know, I think one of the most common examples is uh, autistic individuals who have a seizure um, disorder or like epilepsy. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even called epilepsy. Like a lot of times it's just, oh, my child has seizures. They may not have it as frequently. And then, of course, there are some folks that are it's a struggle. I mean, it's a real struggle. Um, Seizures are not fun for anyone. I don't like it's probably the one thing that I just don't like, like I hate how seizures take over someone's space. Um, And I'm sure that the person who's having the seizure does not like it either, but I want them to go away forever. However, they are here um, along with other things. And so, you know, some people, and maybe you can can, uh, shine some light on this from your perspective. Would you consider ADHD a co-occurring, co-existing, comorbid, um diagnosis or intertwined with autism that's a whole nother topic right yeah. now that I've said it out loud. so yeah i had some opinions um some spicy opinions about adhd and how it's handled and how it's diagnosed but i think i'm going to save that for next week's episode because me and stacy had a lot to say about it and sort of derailed this particular episode so yeah you're gonna have to wait for next week for that one sorry what are some of the other you mentioned epilepsy what are some of the other popular co-occurring conditions because there are there are a couple that tend to come with autism yeah so one of the things that you mentioned i think is very 
important for um, parents to know, but also educators and therapists. And I don't feel like it's talked about enough, you know, because everyone's looking at autism from a behavioral standpoint, right? They're not wanting to do their non-preferred activities. You know, they don't like to write. The not liking to write, because everybody wants to attach an emotion to something, is really, I can't. It's hard. I don't have the motor planning skills to be able to do it because I don't have proprioceptive input coming to my joints to tell my hands what pressure to put on the paper. It's all related. I know I always bring stuff back to sensory, but it's all related. And if you address the, the needs, if you support right? The motor planning, if you provide strategies like letting people type or letting people, you know, if they're able to verbally talk text into something that writes their paper, there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so handwriting difficulties, which some people will say, um, that's motor right? skill stuff, right? Yes. That, that's, I, I have that too, where like yeah. my handwriting, it, yes. it's still bad. Luckily we live in the age of typing. It got better because I put a lot of work into it, but initially it, it looked horrible. It was just like these giant loopy letters. It looked like I was writing with my whole fist around the pencil. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is, and this I guess is the story I will, will share. So handwriting, the older I get, the more I realize why I don't like handwriting. Initially, I thought as a child, I don't like handwriting because it's not pretty like my mother's handwriting. My mother has a beautiful script. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. And so mine didn't look nice. So I was like, okay, this cursive thing is not for me. I literally stopped writing in cursive in the fifth grade. I made an announcement and said, I'm no longer writing in cursive. I'm only writing in print. Now, no one said, and if they did, I probably missed it, but no one said, Stacy, that's unacceptable because I don't have a diagnosis, right? But if a person that was autistic said that, they would make a goal for them to improve their handwriting, right? Because people would think it's important. And I share this story a lot with parents because I'm like, I managed to do what worked for me, right? Print was better. And right now, of course, because I type everything, it's very difficult for me to write. I mean, I have to consciously think about it. And so, of course, I think, you know, how hard my kiddos are working. But the motor planning is something definitely that needs to be addressed. And that goes along with children are not like when an occupational therapist comes in, it's all about, you know, feeding yourself and um, handwriting, right? Feeding yourself and handwriting, buttoning clothes, feeding yourself, handwriting and buttoning clothes. Okay, those things are all great, but we have stuff that we can do. We can't do that, right? We have technology, we have shoes that tie themselves or you can wear loafer shoes. What, what I don't see is someone looking into um, bilateral coordination, right? Someone looking into midline crossing, someone looking into retained primitive reflexes, for our children who are struggling to be, you know, learning in a classroom setting, and no one's looking at all of that foundational stuff. I don't know why, uh, but it's well, very important. We'll, we'll see. In my day, what we did, because I too struggle with like coordination and things like that. In my day, what we did was we played a game called dodgeball, which is now illegal in most parts of the country. And we didn't play with those like softballs, we played with like those like hard rubber kickballs. 
And it's either you got good at having reflexes or you got hit in the face a lot. And I got hit in the face a lot until I got good. It's like the movie Dodgeball. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Yes. It's called adaption. Exactly. You And I will say, I was really sad when they took dodgeball away because dodgeball was a way for folks who really didn't have the gumption to fight physically or fight back you could get them back with dodgeball i mean dodgeball was like your payback right like you just got really good at throwing the ball uh so there was a purpose but you know now... it was also good because it allowed for teamwork because well for me i didn't have i couldn't throw the ball really hard mm-hmm. but i was a big target but i was surprised i got surprisingly good at dodging because i didn't want to get hit so my role was to basically draw fire yeah grab the balls and hand them off to people who could throw hard, which sounds stupid, but it was big because it allowed me to be included in something I otherwise wouldn't be included in because I was so unathletic. That was like the one thing I was good at was dodging the balls. Your strategy, compensation, whatever it is to be included, I think everyone does that. You do that in a board meeting. The person who is better at speaking is the person you put in front to present the thing that everyone you know put together behind the scenes. Everybody, if you're on a team, you're going to pinpoint who does what well. I'm saying this to say, we make it seem like accommodating and supporting folks with disabilities is so foreign and we freaking compensate and do that and support people all the time. And I say all the time, everybody can't do everything. People who can't cook, either eat out or marry someone who can. Like, it's really that simple. It really is that simple. Um, But we won't go back into that. I wanna go back to the motor planning. So the motor planning, the other one that finally people have been talking about over the last few years is when they used to think that autistic individuals who were non-speaking were, well, some people still do, but we're here to shift the narrative. And they say, well, they just don't wanna talk. Okay, well, that's ridiculous, right? Like nobody wants to just not communicate their needs and wants. However, apraxia is finally being addressed, right? If you have apraxia, which is a motor planning um, disorder, it's really hard to verbally motor plan output of speech. And I don't think people understand just how complicated it is and what our brains and our bodies have to do to formulate words and sentences. It is a lot of stuff that has to be coordinated in a very quick time. I remember my first speech one-on-one class. I remember learning how we actually formulate words because I'm a talker and I thought, oh my gosh, that's a lot of stuff going on at one time for output, right? And so there are a lot of things that are coexisting that need to be addressed, which would probably facilitate um, for lack of a better term, more, ugh, I don't want to use that term, better output, right? If you support their needs by letting them type their paragraph instead of writing it because of their motor planning, they're actually able to show you they know how to develop a paragraph. The, the skill is not about writing with a pen and paper. It's about developing a paragraph, but people get caught on just like people get caught on verbal speech is the only way to communicate. Uh, no, it's not. And words are not the only way to communicate either. There are countries that have 
clicks for their language, right? So thinking in terms of there are other ways to demonstrate developing a paragraph. It's not about writing. Um, what are some of the others? So we talked about issues with motor skills, issues with speech. Uh, we touched a little on epilepsy. Are there any, I know the answer already, but for the sake of argument, are there any like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say psychiatric, but like uh, mental health conditions that tend to co-occur with autism? Yes. But before we, we say that, I would like to talk about the one word I'm so glad is spreading around social media, and it is the alexithymia. And that the is what? because alexithymia, which is... So is that? It's the inability. It's like emotional blindness, right? Like, like when you are asking people to recognize their emotions, it's really you're, you are unable to recognize and describe your own emotions. That's right? called, so that's just called being an adult male. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I, I, I wish that was a joke. Karen Rose has a really great way of explaining alexithymia, so I always refer people to him. But the reason I'm glad we're talking about it is because there's so much pressure now, like this new thing about, and you guys have heard me talk about it. I'm so tired of people asking children how they feel. I mean, I've gotten to the point where I literally ask adults five times during a meeting, so how do you feel? So how do you feel? So how do you feel? Can you tell me how you feel? What color are you on? And they're like, why do you keep asking me that? I said, I want you to understand how annoying it is for children to be asked every 20 minutes, according to the timer and their behavior chart, how they're feeling. Our feelings fluctuate within 30 seconds, 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes. You can feel one way and then it goes to another way. That's the benefit, the glory, the wonderful part of being human. And so for folks who have alexithymia, I believe I'm saying it correct, it's just difficulty identifying feelings and emotions. So our children will end up uh, just naming emotions because people like those, you know, you'll hear kids say, how are you? Fine. Good, good, fine. Because it's like, this is what people want to hear, right? But it's not really how they feel. But alexithymia is um, a little bit more complicated. It's very interesting, actually, to hear adults with alexithymia talk about it. It's very, very interesting. So that's one that's coming sort of out. Um, the other one is a lot of people, you know, because of trauma, because of um, uh, sensory uh, exposure to sensory onslaught, depression is huge for um, teens, young adults, and adults that are autistic. And I um, look at it from the viewpoint of, yes, there is genetic disposition. Yes, it happens. However, I think that trauma over growing up and not being supported in all the other things, with quiet hands, stop stimming, uh, just not being able to be yourself leads to depression and anxiety. I mean, it does. There's no other way to explain it. However, what are your ideas or what's your perspective, Torin, on depression, 
anxiety and neurodivergent individuals? Do you think it's, I'm sure that there's a combination. It's not just one thing, but what's your stance on that? See, I'm actually going to do the politician thing where uh -oh. I answer a question by asking a question. Do you think that a certain extent of these psychiatric conditions are just predisposed, autistic people are just predisposed to them, such as clinical depression, which is an actual disorder, um, anxiety disorder? Uh, they still, borderline personality disorder is still a thing, right? Yeah. Borderline personality yes. disorder, uh, scary ODD stuff like that. Do you think? Do you think there's a certain predisposition that's not all just obviously some of it's due to trauma and due mm -hmm. to a lack of understanding of autism that causes unhealthy coping mechanisms? But do you think there is a predisposition for those? So I will say in my um, lived experience, <laughs> just love that phrase. What I find is a lot of parents have anxiety and depression, and then their autistic child ends up being predisposed, right? Genetically sort of like inclined for things to trigger the depression and anxiety, which looks different in each person, right? Uh, and I think it is a matter of we can't necessarily say an environment will stop mental health, right? Because clearly people grow up in loving homes and they still have depression or anxiety. But I do think, I find that a lot of parents are, you know, very, very anxious, right? Or they have a history of depression, but anxiety is very high. And so you have an anxious parent and then an anxious child because the anxious parent, and then there's all these other dynamics um, so I guess to answer your question, I would say yes, because I think there's always a DNA pool that is the foundation. That's my answer. So to be clear, you do think that there is predisposition, but you think it's less the autism in and of itself that's leading to that and more just the parents. Well, I think that um, if you are a person who has, you just, an anxious person, right? There's some people that are just anxious. I mean, those of us who are not, it's like hard to watch, right? Because they're just so anxious. I, I have trouble comprehending the people that aren't anxious. Like you're not worried every second of every day. Like I, I can't imagine that. <laughs> so I think that the outcome, like anything else, the outcome of how you grow into yourself depends on your experiences. Like I, I, you know, whether you, there was a movie, I cannot remember the name of the movie, but there was a movie with Cher and it's an old, old movie. And it was the story about sort of the tumor elephant man story. Right. And there was another one, I think that somebody else did later, but when you, when you are, when you are for lack of a better way to explain it different, or you have a disability or a diagnosis, or you're, you look different. The way that is perceived in, in the perspective of the people around you is the way you perceive yourself. So there is less likeliness for you to have the depression, anxiety interfere significantly in your life, right? I'm not saying it goes away, but you're able to 
cope because you have support. You're able to uh, get access to supports because some people don't have access. So that's a huge thing right there. But I do think that there is something to be said about the environment and the people who are in a child's life through their developmental stages, as well as their young adulthood, which I consider a developmental stage. I don't know if I answered the question. No, you, you, you did, you did. And I think that is very important because how you answered it reflects the fact there's a lot of nuance to this and you can't simply separate one from the other from the other. So just just so 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 I'm clear. So as someone who myself has a lot of anxiety and a lot of anger issues and I have trouble recognizing it. So now I can just tell people so when I refuse to get therapy and I destroy all my relationships. It's not because I'm emotionally stunted and clearly suffering from PTSD and refuse to get help for it. It's because I'm an autistic person with alexithymia, or however it's called, and I have a predisposition to anxiety and depression and anger due to the environment I grew up in. So it's not my fault. I actually don't have to work on proving myself at all. That's what I'm hearing. And I, I like that message. The message that says yeah. I don't have to work and do like the hard looking in the mirror. I like that message. So that is the message I'm going to choose to take. And that's the message I think our listeners should take that if you have a spouse who's autistic and who's a dick, it's not their fault and they shouldn't be expected to improve themselves. I like that a lot. So I do believe in free choice, free will, and we just have to accept the consequences that come with that. And it's funny that you say that because you know, my um, comic relief, right? How I decompress from uh, stuff is I like watching TLC 90 Day Fiance, right? And when you watch the folks that are on there, it's like, yeah, this is why you don't have anyone and you have to go to, I don't know, Timbuktu to find someone. You're just a total right like it's really it's not them it's you i mean when you and and those folks don't seem to look at themselves they just keep blaming everyone else and they just wallow in their own it's like whatever you know you need to look in the mirror i mean i think michael jackson wrote a song about it but you have a choice you can look in the mirror i have friends who don't look in the mirror and they just whine about their lives and they can whine about it all they want uh so free will if you want to not improve and just destroy all your relationships it is your right as yeah. a sovereign and free citizen yes. of whatever country you're in to it just is. completely destroy your own life. Yep. All yep. jokes aside, there's another disorder, which is not an official disorder, but it's a term that's making its rounds. And we've spoken about this a couple of times on the podcast. Gosh. And I you're feel like. You're not going to say it, are you? you no, know, you, you know where it? I'm going with this. Don't because. You can't have a discussion about autism or ADHD without this coming up because it keeps coming up. Christ, I can't remember the name of it. It wasn't, it was RDS, right? Yes. Yes, RDS. I was saying RSS, which is like the feed that our podcast goes into. So RDS, that's my learning disability. I have issues with letters and numbers. They tend to flip on each other. Um, Actually, we should get into that before we go too because that's kind of an important one. Uh, Dyslexia and dyscalculia. But uh, RDS, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, yes. 
is yes. a new theory that's not an official disorder uh, that a lot of autistic people, autistic adults, uh, claim to have. And you can tell by the sound of my voice, or if you're looking on camera, my reaction, kind of what I think. Of. If, I, if I don't think ADHD is real, you can imagine what my opinions are. But Stacy, would you care to explain what RDS is? I would love to explain and share my story of learning about this RSD. So I keep RSD, saying it wrong too. I, well, I think I think it's hard. We have so many acronyms; it's like hard to keep them straight. So RSD is referred to as rejection sensitive dysphoria, right? And so it's when you experience severe emotional pain because of a failure or feeling rejected. And I learned about this RSD uh, from a coworker um, who is no longer a coworker, not because they have RSD, but because we just don't work together anymore. And I said, quite blatantly, because there's all these acronyms being thrown around, right? And I can't keep up with the phrases we can use and we can't use. I'm, I'm from another generation. I'm not in my 20s anymore. But when they said, oh, I said, what is RSD? And they said, oh, it's rejection sensitivity dysphoria. I'm like, what the hell is that? Well, you know, it's really difficult when I have fear of rejection. And like, if somebody like gives me feedback, it's like really difficult. And I'm like, okay, so isn't that the majority of people in the world well you know it just impacts me and i'm like okay no disrespect on your perspective on your feelings i will validate if you feel rejected and you're really sensitive to rejection however that does not mean you don't get to receive feedback especially in the workplace that does not mean that co-work, I mean, friendships, relationships, people can't say, you need to figure out how to respond to this rejection dysphoria because we can't all walk on eggshells because you're going to be sensitive and cry that someone said your paperwork needed to be redone. Sorry, we need to put our big girl panties on and go to work. That is my perspective old school. I am not saying that some people are not more sensitive than others. What I'm saying is that is not an excuse for everyone to not give you feedback because feedback is how we grow. And apparently feedback is not acceptable anymore. But I grew up with feedback, right? Your boss said, hey, listen, you've been running late a few days. You need to fix that, right? That's feedback get it together or else, right? You have a job, you have a responsibility. So for me, it's a struggle in terms of, this is where I struggle. I don't struggle with the validation of someone's feelings, right? Your feelings are your feelings. Your perspective is your perspective, it's your reality. But that does not mean I have to put a smiley face on the end of every sentence to make you feel better about yourself. Sorry, that is not my job. To, to play devil's advocate, I think what a lot of these people mean is the type of, I hate the term rejection. I hate that they say it's rejection because rejection is something that happens to everybody. So it makes it sound like 
you're being prissy over something that everyone goes through. Yes. The thing is, the remember they started giving out, everybody gets a trophy. So, oh my gosh, what do you mean? I don't get the job. I didn't win. No, you suck and you need to wait, work the, the, harder. The, wait, the, the world, the world just won't kiss my ass. Um, yeah. The thing is, some of the negative feedback is what I'd like to call it, that autistic people get or, or neurodivergent people get, especially neurodivergent people who don't fit, like, who, who don't conform, can be downright vicious. It's more than just, it's not just, I think if someone says, I can't deal with constructive feedback at work because I have RDS that person, I'm just going to be honest. But a lot of children are hearing such awful things, usually mm -hmm. by people who have power over them, Yes, that it affects how they view themselves mm -hmm. and it affects how they communicate with the world because it's a trauma response. So a common example, I think I've used it on the podcast before, was because I'm on the spectrum, I didn't act like a normal Black person growing up in the project should act. So I had a teacher who informed the class that I was an Oreo. An, an Oreo is a Black person. It, it's an insult Black people use for other Black people for a Black person who acts white. I, I don't really understand it, what acting Black is, but... In other words, they're basically saying, I hate myself because I was black. I was nine at the time when they were saying this because I didn't, I wasn't into rap music at the time. I say it's time because I'm really into it now. I wasn't into basketball, uh, which is ironic because I am now. Uh, I didn't speak in slang. I had that very, like, that, that stereotypical, like, proper speech that a lot of autistic children have, just like the adult speech, only yes. with a bunch of expletives thrown in there because that never changed. Um, I still do that. So he informed the class, and this is in the projects, this is all like hood kids, that I'm a black man who hates myself, and I'm an Oreo. And from then on, up until deep in my college years, I referred myself to other black people as an Oreo, because I didn't even know it was an insult. Because I was just like, oh, I, 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 don't, I don't act black. I guess, I guess that's true, because I don't, because I'm, I'm nine, but I'm not stupid, so I can tell that I don't act like people around me. I'm not like people around me. I guess that's just stating a fact. I didn't realize that was an insult until someone in college informed me that it's, in fact, an insult. Yes. So when you deal, that's just an example. When you deal with that sort of feedback or rejection, for example, your own community rejects you because you, I still, people, I, I still go, I still pop out to my friends and they live in the projects. And I just think I'm an undercover cop. I get that so much that I'm an undercover cop because I look weird, which is funny because if you go up in the projects, you should know what, what a UC looks like. I know what a UC looks like. They're kind of obvious. Anyway, I get treated suspiciously by my own community mm -hmm. because I'm different, because I'm on the spectrum, because I, I, I just don't quite fit in no matter how hard I mask. It's the reason I've talked about on social media, how sometimes I like masking, because for certain demographics, not being able to mask is dangerous. So that, when I think of rejection in air quotes, rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, that's what I'm thinking of. For a lot of people, they're getting such negative feedback that it actually puts them in danger. So they change, yes. as children, they change how they act. Mm -hmm. And it makes them afraid to do the wrong thing, to say the wrong thing, because harm could come to them. Unfortunately, like many disorders, like ADHD, like autism, like bipolar, it's weaponized by privileged people 
of course. And I'm just I'm I'm just gonna call spade no, spade. I'm sorry, say, white people. Yes, it, I was gonna it, say, it, say that again. It is white people. It's used as yeah. a way to avoid like exactly. unpleasant things that like yes. everyone goes through, like constructive criticism. Yes. Or yes. someone calling you out for saying something problematic, you get that a lot. You'll say something that's like borderline to definitely racist, and they'll yes. get called out on that and say, "Hey, this is really effed up." And like, "Oh, I have RDS. I this is this is hurting me." Like, yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah. it it as much as I make a joke of it, it's because I'm thinking of those people versus the reality, which is people, and obviously white people too. I'm not saying white people don't deal with this. People who are disabled mm -hmm. are put in danger, and as a result, they develop trauma responses. That's all this is. It's just we need names. Social media loves names. They I love know. acronyms. And I certain know. small, I, I must stress this, small group people, social media amplifies them. There's a small group of people mm -hmm. weaponize that to make themselves feel special and to yes. immune themselves to any sort of uh, criticism or feedback on their bullshit. Yes. Well, and and want you to feel sorry for them, especially. Yeah, of course, you must feel sorry for these people because yeah. they have it so much, and it's such a small amount of people. But yeah. the way social media works, if you can be a small, a part of a very small group, mm -hmm. and be amplified to a point where it looks like it's everybody. Yeah, I think I think that you make really, really, really good valid points, and so what I'm hearing is that. For both of us, the problem is not whether or not you are, you know, dealing with RSD, rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, or ADHD, or it's, if you are aware of it, right? Like if you can say, oh, I have rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria. So what are you doing to support yourself so that you can contribute in the workplace and in your relationship and in your family? Because we all have things that we have to recognize about ourselves. No one is walking around perfect. Everyone has strengths and, and, and struggles and challenges. So what are you doing, right? So that it doesn't impact everyone around you significantly. I'm not saying you have to fix things. I'm saying when it's used as an excuse, it's very annoying. So I am going to quickly do a recap in terms of, because I want the listeners to understand also co-occurring is not necessarily, it comes with every autistic individual. And, and right? Before we go into the recap, I think mm -hmm. there's one more group that we mentioned mm -hmm. that we need to cover, and that's the learning disability. So like this calcula, uh, yes. we, we covered dysgraphia, but this calcula, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm coming to that in terms of, I want the listeners to know that things like that are co-occurring, right? These are things that you commonly see along with a person who is diagnosed autistic. And it's really, I see it as it's a result of, right? So for example, sleep disorders, right? A sleep disorder is something that lots of people can have, but someone who is autistic, the sleep disorder is related to their actual sensory autistic process processing system of how they navigate and their uh, all these other things neurological system right uh the anxiety i always think of anxiety as there is anxiety that is sort of like that autistic anxiety which is very different than anxiety that non-autistic folks have now i could i would actually disagree with that but that's a topic for another day 
Yes. All right. So the gastrointestinal is another one. Oh, yes. Um, yes. How could I forget? Yes. yes. As someone who has uh, gastroparesis, how, I'm, so, I'm shocked I forgot that one. Mm -hmm. The gastrointestinal and then the ADHD we talked about, the epilepsy and seizures, and also a lot of times, um, uh, you know, you'll see a small percentage of like food allergies or immune. But there is definitely no one size fits all. So just because one autistic person has or 10 autistic people in a group have anxiety disorder doesn't mean everyone is going to have an anxiety disorder, right? That that needs support um, around pharmaceutical support. But what I want the listeners to realize is that, yes, we're talking about coexisting, but you can also have more than one diagnosis so you can be autistic and blind you can be autistic and also down syndrome you can be autistic and hearing impaired right those are two separate things that don't have anything to do with the other right being blind has nothing to do with having neurodivergent processing system but you can have double diagnosis and triple diagnosis uh, there are some medical diagnosis um, of course that you can have that are not necessarily related to all of the things that come with that neurodivergent autistic processing system. So just wanted to throw that out there because a lot of times, and we're gonna to get to the learning disability, this sort of leads into it. People assume autism is also co-occurring with intellectual disability and it is not. And I try to remind parents, unfortunately the medical field, the um, getting services field, you know, if you, the more you make your child look disabled, then you actually will get services. So people will push for intellectual development or delay or global delay, which is not in the best interest of the individual, because yes, you may get services, but now you're getting services with no expectations, right? Now you're getting services for people with an intellectual delay, and that's not what that person has. They're just autistic. So just to throw that out there, and especially for folks who are um, non-speaking or non, um, uh, you know, uh, not, what is the word? You know, kids who are chilling and, and doing their own thing, right? Maybe not engaging socially. A lot of times it's assumed that they are intellectually delayed, but they're listening and hearing everything you say. So just like you said, that trauma-induced depression and dysphoria and feeling low self-esteem just because the person is not engaging with you or communicating to you in a way that you communicate doesn't mean they're not hearing everything you say and light bulb moment for those who may not know people who are intellectually delayed also understand what you're saying they're just intellectually delayed right they hear just fine unless they have a hearing impairment so that goes into that learning disability, right? Because sometimes you'll ask people, well, what is autism? What do you, well, you know, what, how would you explain that when you tell someone your child's autistic? Oh, well, they don't learn quick. Mm, that's not really what it is, right? But you can have dyscalculate, you know, the math is, can be really, really a struggle because of the different processing system. Um, or we say dysgraphia, dyscalculia, which is the math. We have dyslexia. Lots of children I've worked with, not overly common, but 
I've worked with several children who are autistic and dyslexic as well. Um, and sometimes I wonder, Torin, and maybe you can give insight, because I know you say that you see letters flip and, and different things like that. Do you feel that your perspective of seeing things inverted or different are because of the neurodiversity of the way you take in information and process it? Or is it just separate from oh no it's not it's not a different way of thinking i think that's where you're going with this yes. because it makes everything harder it made school harder so with the letters i don't know if i have dyslexia so here's what i've mentioned this before when i was a kid i was treated like i was an idiot mm -hmm. i'm not particularly bright academically but because i had certain i had certain deficits i was treated like i didn't know anything at all so as a kid, my whole thing was, if I was struggling with something, I never wanted to ask for help because it would be used against me. Mm -hmm. It would be like, see, he needs help. He's yeah. an idiot. We're not mm -hmm. going to like advance him or treat him like he's a human being. So I struggle with reading stuff where uh, letters will, will, will flip. Not all the letters. So I don't know if this is uh, dyslexia. Not all the letters, but like certain letters will flip, especially on words that are similar. Mm -hmm. uh but not always but it makes so it, it makes uh reading and it makes memorizing words impossible i can't spell when i say i can't spell when i work as a teacher i would i work with first and second graders i would routinely spell out words wrong and the first and second graders have to correct me. these are public school second graders in the bronx to give you an idea so we're not even talking about up to grade level these are second graders who could barely read and they were correcting me. That is how bad my spelling is because I can't visualize words. They sort of just jump around on me. Numbers do the exact same thing. Numbers are even numbers are even worse. Like I can't weigh myself and log it down because the five seconds it takes me to get from the scale to my computer or my phone, I'll forget the number because it will say, let's say it will say two ninety five point six. It will immediately flip to two ninety six point five. Ah. Things like that, the numbers or two or two sixty five point. You get what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now with that, because I know how much I should weigh, I understand if the first two numbers flip, that's wrong. But the yeah. last two numbers, that's plausible. I don't know. It's like that's say two ninety five point six or two ninety six point five. It messes with me. So little things like that, it makes doing math pretty much impossible. Yeah. With reading, what I would do is when I had that issue, I have good comprehension. So I would say every third word, the letters would flip on me, third or fourth word. So the ones I would take the ones I could read and be able to get the gist of what the sentence would say. So yeah. I would be able to read it. So they say, read this passage to yourself and then tell us what it said. And I'd be able to do that. But then when they'd have me read out loud, it would be a disaster. To the point where they stop having me read out loud because it'd be so slow, it'd annoy. And they do it like in class and annoy everybody. Mm -hmm. So the teachers because this is how good the public school system is. Teachers be like, eh, screw it. He gets the idea. He just can't read out loud. Um, because I, but as a result, it makes writing and reading very difficult. I don't yeah. do it unless I have to. And math is just impossible. The only mm -hmm. time I ever pass math is if it's a multiple choice or something I can try to, I can like memorize the answer for. Because mm -hmm. I do have a, a photographic memory, mm -hmm. which is weird because I have a photographic memory, but like words tend to jump around on me. It's hard it's to describe. Two different, it's two different parts of the brain. Oh, that explains it. So like with math, it's just impossible because numbers, not, not only can I not comprehend numbers, like they just go in one, like formulas go in one ear and out the other. Yeah. Uh, like I said, they jump around on. Yeah. So like, I can't like add them up very well. 
So I have these issues, which have always been an issue. And I just sort of have had workarounds because when you're on the spectrum and you don't want to be treated like you're a you figure out workarounds. And that's why whenever I hear like someone's like, I struggled, I struggled with X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, I had straight A's. I'm like, how? Like I, I had to do all these workarounds. I didn't get straight A's. Like yeah. I did just enough to pass. Like the workarounds allowed me not to fail. Yeah. Like so, why? Like when I hear people say, like I had these, I'm not saying they didn't have them, but mm-hmm. like as someone who really did have a lot of issues, I'm like, damn, you you must have elite level strategies to get yeah. around this because, yeah. like, I can't read and I can't do math, and it affected my grades. Mm-hmm. I had to work very very hard just to pass. Yeah. And what's interesting is. Thank you for that insight, Torin, because I, 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 I think that is um, insightful for parents to think about, you know, our listeners to think about their kiddos. And I asked you that question because I've had kiddos tell me the, the letters jump around, but it's because the light is reflecting on the paper. Like they've actually explained to me that when they sit by this light, the letters, but if they go to another light, then it doesn't. So no, nah, they just do that with me in general. It doesn't yeah, matter the general. light. Just yeah. I, I wish it was a lighting change. I've tried everything. <laughs> That's that um fluorescent light in the classroom. So so this is what this is what I I'd like for our listeners to kind of take away from this because I think this is a really good topic. I think it would be a great topic for us to maybe um find someone who would be open to being a guest who has some, uh, I mean, we've had guests that have, you know, epilepsy as well. Um, I work with a lot of families where their kids have seizures and it's just so um, annoying. I mean, it's so annoying, but I think that it's important to understand one Autism has lots of different components that can contribute to struggles, right? Um, Whether it's the sleep, the gastrointestinal, the anxiety. And I think it's important to look at what it is, is the challenge. And then how do we support that? Like you said, kids do it all the time. Kids can, kids with a learning disability are very good at coping strategies until third, fourth grade, and then there's too many steps and the coping strategies get really, really difficult, right? Because you can't read a paragraph and skim through because now it's a longer chapter book, right? So that's when you start to see a lot of the grades fall because you can't compensate. Yeah, I, I, I was great at math up until division because up yeah. until then, you could just it's mostly tables. So you yeah. could just like the times table, I was, they're like, he learned the times table a year early. Yeah, because there was a big ass chart in our classroom yeah. of everything up to 12 times 12. Yes. So yes. I would just stare at it. Mm-hmm. And because photographic memory, I remember what the answers were supposed to look like. Exactly. And then once you had to start doing equations, it was over. It was <laughs> it was over once we hit equations. Yes, that is so very true. Um, so I, I still have nightmares of failing math. Like every once in a while, like I'm being honest, I'm not even joking. Every once in a while, I have a night, a recurring nightmare of I still have to fin- have to go back to school because I didn't pass math in high school because I didn't. My I was so bad at math. My math teacher took pity on me and gave and raised my final grade twenty points mm-hmm. because he's like, well, he's working hard, 
but he's failing everything. But I don't want to affect his college status. And I don't want to be held back. So he raised my final grade 20 points. So I'll have like this recurring nightmare about him not doing that. And then I hear like, oh, your high school diploma doesn't isn't actually valid. You have to go back to high school and finish math. And it's like a yeah. nightmare because that's like the worst thing I could possibly think of is having to redo high school math. I, I have a lot of friends who are math geeks and they always say, I mean, math is like so, I mean, I don't understand, you know, math is, and I'm like, listen, I really believe that there's a math gene and you either have it or you don't. Because, yeah, you're either, it's a talent. You're either good at yeah. it or you're not. I mean, it, I, and I didn't recognize this until I was in college, my, uh, whatever year it was, I guess, freshman year. And my roommate was in the same math class with me and she just struggled. And I thought, gosh, I don't understand why it's so hard. But I didn't realize I had the math gene. Like, literally, I can sleep in a math class and I still do my math, right? Don't know where it comes from. I think my dad gave me that gene. My mother struggles with math and my sister struggles with math. And I remember my mom went to come back, she went back to college and she called me and she said, Stacy, I'm struggling with this math and I need your help. And I'm trying to help her. And I'm like, I don't get why she's not getting this. And finally, I said, you know what? Forget it. Just drink a glass of wine and go to sleep and pray. I can't do anything. It's so hard to find good math tutors because you're either good at it or you're not. And the yeah. thing is, people with natural ability tend not to make as good teachers because it's always just been there for them. The exactly. best teachers are people who, who struggle with it a little bit and oh, then get good. You said that because that's what I told them. I was like, mom, I don't know how to explain it. Like, just do it. Like, you see it. Just look at it and do it. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell her. Because... I, I once heard this guy who claims he had ADHD, who, who, who he, he claims he had ADHD. And he's like, but the thing, he's really good at math, though. The thing is, math is a language. Yeah, math is a language. Like, but the language is that, like, gibberish. You hear the homeless person on the corner screaming at you. It's like, that, that's math. It's yeah. a language. Technically, yeah. I know. but you either understand it or, or it sounds like gibberish. Yeah, yeah. I took um, statistics in grad school and I remember failing. And I said, Dad, I don't understand. Like, I'm so good in math. And he said, Well, statistics is not math, it's logic. I said, Are you saying that I'm not logical? He's like, Well, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? So I had to take it again, right? took it again and I can only imagine the poor professor because I went to him and I said I'm determined to pass this class and he looked at me and he was like I don't care what you make on your test you're not taking this class again he was like I don't want to see you I'm gonna deal with you um and I got out of statistics and uh I don't think I ever want to take that again now you just Put it in a program and it just does it for you i'm like i'm not that much into numbers all right so i've like gone on a tangent how do we close this off Torin? i think we just close it off right now do you wow. have anything okay. do you have any last words all right last words co-occurring coexisting comorbid whatever you want to call it just remember every child is different every autistic individual is different and you just need to know your child. You need to know yourself if you're neurodivergent. And then you just decide or come up with or develop supports and strategies. Like seriously. And, and Torin, this is coming from a place of, you know, a lot of people don't really know my background as a speech therapist, right? And when I was a speech therapist in the schools, 
we worked with children who had learning disabilities. We learned and had training on auditory processing disorder. We learned about kids who had pragmatic language difficulties, right? And the reality is the students that I had that had legitimate learning disability, right? Like whether it was reading or whether it was math, you can't make the learning disability go away. You can't make someone not be dyslexic, but you have to figure out what strategies can you implement to get them through whatever they need to get through. It's no different than a grocery list. Some people need a grocery list to go shopping and other people do not. If you need a grocery list to go shopping, then you write it down on a piece of paper. If you need to remember appointments, you put it in a calendar. Some people use a planner. Everybody has strategies to help them get through day-to-day -day things. So we need to remember it's not about erasing or making coexisting things go away. It's about, if it's medical, of course, you want to treat. But it's, if it's about supporting. It goes back to supporting because you can't make the brain do something different if it does something a certain way. You just can't. People can talk about it all they want. If you get old enough to realize this is the way you think, this is the way you process, you know you're not going to be able to process it any different, right? I am never going to remember a seven-digit phone number. I don't care how many degrees I have and how much memory apps I do. My rote memory sucks. Thankfully, I have a really good application memory, right? I literally take information, I file it, and then I store it and pull it up when I need it. Works out great, right? And every now and then I need to pull out my photographic memory, but everybody needs to understand how they process the information and how they learn. And we as parents need to know how our children process and how they learn and what are the struggles, what are the coexisting, and what do we do to support them? That's really what it comes down to. So that's my end final message. And then I would like to bring someone on who, this would be a good discussion to have with folks who have similar experiences and different experiences than you did. This really would be, and I'm glad, I love our guests, but I love when it's just the two of us, because when I say, we recently had a guest who I was like, is there any last things you'd like to say? And they were like, um, no. And I was like, well, that's- Who always has something to say. <laughs> And Stacy, that's why we're working to shift the narrative on everything autism, including co-occurring, co-existing, comorbid. Oh, this oh, is a I... anti-woke podcast. <laughs> See ya. Bye, Torin.